Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Good morning. So good to see you. Glad that you're here. Uh, We're beginning a new series today, Relatable, and we're going to talk about relationships that we have with one another and our family, and uh, we're going to have a good time in this. Today's topic is going to be challenging. It's going to be challenging, so we're going to begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are here with us. We invite the power and presence of your Holy Spirit with us. We thank you for your word And uh, Lord, just the ability that you have to speak to us, our hearts are open, and uh, God, our our minds are open to what you would speak to us, and Father, the things that you speak to us, we already have a yes on the inside for what you're going to say. Help us to do and be who you want us to be and do what you want us to do, and we love you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're old enough, you may remember a commercial where you would take the nesty plunge. The nesty plunge is simply, you know, I guess it's about tea, but you basically fall into a a pool of water, you just totally surrender yourself to the water, you just take the nest tea plunge. Many times when people think about a life of faith, living for God, uh, with limited understanding, we may think that it is only a leap of faith, that it is only a leap of faith. Some people have this faith, and so they just plunge their whole life, and it doesn't even need to make sense. You can just check your brain at the door. It doesn't need to be logical. It doesn't. I just want to remind you as we, as we begin this series that your life in Christ now makes more sense than it ever has before. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the service. And uh, in every service, if you're a guest or visitor, um, I will make a case that Jesus Christ is the answer to our life. And if you need to take that step, we'll give you that opportunity. By the way, if you are a guest or visitor with us here today, uh, we're just really thankful that you're here, and we hope that we can partner with you and encourage you and strengthen you. Uh, You don't need to believe like we believe in order to be with us. We're just really thankful that you're here. Would you help me welcome all of our guests and visitors today? Really thankful for you. So... If you're not from a church background, maybe this sounds familiar, just like, well, I just don't have the faith, and I just don't, don't take this plunge and this leap of faith. I want to remind you that the God of the universe, who created all things, uh, made things to make sense, and there is one way that really makes sense, uh, the way to live, and that is as you live for God, he'll give you wisdom and show you how to live. Since he made human beings, he's the ultimate psychologist. Since he made groups of people, he's the ultimate sociologist. Since he made the earth, he's the ultimate geologist. Since he made the stars, he's the ultimate astronomist. Since he made music, he, he, every great melody comes from God. Out of 12 notes, he, I mean, Beethoven's third, he's inspired by God to write that kind of music. Every great melody, every great piece of art that inspires you on the inside comes from God. If you're a mathematician, good for you. Uh, <laughs> And if you, but, I, but the people that I know who are mathematicians who, who really understand, the deeper you understand math, the more appreciation you can have for a God who doesn't live in a universe of chaos, but one of incredible order that he has designed. And so that, since that is true, we can trust him with every area of our life. And we can trust him with our relationships. We can trust, see, there's not just like you give your life to God and then, then he takes care of the spiritual side of your life. And then everything else is kind of up to you. 
I mean, and, and let's face it, your whole life is spiritual. And, and if God only touches some religious, spiritual side of your life, what does that have to do with Monday? What does that have to do with your relationships? What, is that, what does that have to do with your mind? What does that have to do with your sex life? What does that have to do with all your money? The things that matter the most to you, God is a God who covers all of those areas in our life, and he has wisdom for us, and we're to live this out together. This is why in John chapter 14, Jesus said, Jesus said to him, he's speaking to Thomas and the disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. When he says, I am the way, he's not only talking about a path to heaven and eternal life through justification of sin, forgiveness of your sin through the cross. He's actually, Jesus is actually saying to you, I am the way that you are to live. I have the answers for your mind and your heart and your soul and your family and your finances. There is a certain way. See, you will either prove by serving God that God exists, or you will prove that God exists by living against him. Every life story proves that God exists because you'll either prove that he is the way or you'll prove that he is the way by not living his way. When you don't live his way, you know on the inside there's a way and I'm not living it. Every life, I'm, I'm contending that everything in life points to Jesus Christ. And the truth is, if you're really looking for the truth, all roads don't lead to God, but every journey of truth leads to Jesus if you're in an honest journey seeking the truth, you will find Jesus. Why? Because he is the truth. He is the truth. And, and it's an all-encompassing, all-inclusive, don't you love all-inclusive trips? All-encompassing, aren't you glad that you can put your faith in one place? It's in Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that it's not Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith. It is not. It's not Jesus Christ and L. Ron Hubbard. I'm so glad Scientology's a lie, because I couldn't live by that chart. I just can't do it. Somebody's excited about that. Yay, that's good. <laughs> this is why Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus actually has a design for a way, a way for us to live where there is an abundant life. And it's the only way to have an abundant life is to live with him. He said to the woman at the well, I would give you water and you'd never thirst again. This is an all-encompassing love and truth. And so you can trust his word and you can trust the Holy Spirit that God has answers for every area of our life. As a matter of fact, when God called the uh, Israelites out, they were led by Moses and, and then he gave them the Torah, the, the, the Ten Commandments revolutionary at that time in human history, would become the foundation of many civilizations and, some would argue, the cornerstone of every democracy that would come after it, these Ten Commandments. Why? Because God understands how we are to relate to him and how we are to relate to other people. And when Jesus was on the earth, they asked him, in Matthew 22, they said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? In other words, simplify this a little bit for us, if you would. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first uh, and greatest commandment. And then Jesus, being true to form and not doing exactly what people wanted him to do when they asked him for one commandment, he gave them two. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. They will know that we are Christians 
by our perfect answers. Hmm? They will know we are Christians by our political stance. Hmm. Now, the proof and evidence that we are Christians is that we have his love. We love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then we give that love to one another, that we love one another. So as we begin this relatable series, I just wanted to say God has every right to speak about our relationships, and he knows infinitely more than we do how we should relate to one another since he made relationships. I'm saying all this because I want to talk to you about uh, a characteristic of our relationships together that I believe is foundational. I will claim that it is maybe the fundamental truth that we need to have when we're relating to one another, primarily because the people that are with you right now are not perfect people. Amen? That was a good chance. You, you didn't want to say amen to that because that, that's rude, and she already knows it, right? Okay. Now, I mean, he already knows it. The people around you who are closest to you can push your buttons more than anybody else. The closer they are, the more buttons they can push. Amen? Amen. Now, some of you, you were enthusiastic about that, but some of you will admit that your buttons are too easily pushed. Amen? Amen. So if you didn't have buttons to push, they wouldn't be pushing them. So is it their problem or is it your problem? Is it their sin or is it your sin? Yes, is the answer to that question. And you will have no greater thrill in your life than the relationships that you have. You will have no greater moments of inspiration and tears of joy and thrill than the relationships that you have. But you know where I'm going, right? You will also have no greater pain in life hmm, than relationships. The need in this fallen world with fallen people and imperfect people, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is where we start when we talk about relating to one another. Because when we're in heaven, we won't need it. But right now, I don't know if you know this or not, we're not there yet. Forgiveness is what you need. Forgiveness is why you really probably love the person you're with because they know you and they love you anyway. They know you best and they still love you. Forgiveness. See, the truth is, I'll be really honest right now. The rest of the message, I won't be honest, but this part I will be. <laughs> The truth is, we have a sick way of enjoying unforgiveness. Remember the Lord of the Rings? There's that little Schmeagel guy. He ter I was going to show a picture of him, but he's far too ugly for us to look at. Ugh. And if you don't know the movie, Lord of the Rings, then he has his precious. And he hangs on to his precious, and they wants to take our precious, you know. This is, uh, this is our unforgiveness, and this is what we end up looking like. I want you to see from God's perspective what unforgiveness looks like. I, I, I like to hold on to unforgiveness. I have a sick enjoyment of unforgiveness. Because see, as long as I think about and rethink about the way that this person hurt me, and I can hold on to that, and I can claim it as my own, it's my precious. I can even go on Facebook and get people to agree with me. Now we all agree, can you believe what that person did? And what do I get to do? I get to justify my anger. I get to justify my sin. I get to justify any behavior because it was wrong what they did. And I'm a pastor, so I can even find scripture to back it up. <laughs> oh, they were wrong, and now I'm, I'm claiming God's righteousness. Of course, if it's my sin, I claim God's grace and mercy. But right now I want justice. And, and, and what happens is if you have and you harbor unforgiveness, and we're good at this. this the problem with this is this, this is a hidden sin. 
We're big in church world on, on, on sins that are, uh, you know, open. Well, if you, if you have an addiction or if you have this or that or other things that we can see, that's, those are supposedly bigger sins. Is there any greater sin than the sin of unforgiveness when Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our forgiveness and then we refused to give it to others? What's, what's the greater sin, the sin they had against you or the sin you have against them by not forgiving? When God sees it, what, which one, is, which one is, is greater? See, and the problem with holding on to unforgiveness feels so good because I got them and we want them punished, right? Because they deserve punishment even though we want grace. And, and what happens is you hang on to that and I know this because I've done this before is, that, is that, that that anger and unforgiveness eventually becomes bitterness and bitterness becomes a funnel through which all of your life flows. You can know you're bitter. I got a funnel I don't know if you can see this in the balcony or not. You might want to focus in on this. This is the B stands for bitterness. Uh, it just so happens to be a Bengals B. I don't. Just a thought. Just to remind me that I'm talking about bitterness. You remember when I came to Cincinnati? Oh, how hopeful I was and cheerful I was about the Bengals, and I was so naive. And you were like, "Dear child." You know. <laughs> You'll learn to be a Cincinnati Bengal fan, and now I'm with you. I am bitter, and I am angry, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the draft, and I say things like, who are they going to lose to today? Baltimore, fine. It goes with the, the B theme, Baltimore, bitter, Bengals. Ugh. I'm okay. I'm just a true Cincinnatian now, man. I'm here. I've changed. See, you... I've been through seasons in my life where I've been bitter. I've allowed unforgiveness. I've harbored it. And see, what you do when you harbor unforgiveness is you, you replay. It's not that they did it to you one time. It's that they've done it to you every day since then because you've given your mind to it. So the pain is just this reoccurring pain. And it becomes bitterness. You know it's bitterness because no matter what you talk about or where you go or what you think about or, or where you're at, everything filters down in through there and, and, and you want to talk about that, that issue. That issue contains every area of your life. Now, I need to say something to you if you've gone through. I'm talking about relational pain. I'm talking about every day, just the sin we have against one another, lying or, or, or cheating or backbiting, these kind of things. But let me speak to you for just a moment. If you've, been, if you've been in more serious and someone's committed more serious sin against you, if you're here today and you've been abused in some way, you've been neglected or maybe over years, and I just wanna say the God of the universe knows the sin that has been committed against you and he loves you and it may take it may take therapy, it may take Christian counseling, I'm a big believer in that, because it may take years for you to get through the process where you're completely free and can forgive, but the forgiveness begins right now. And God is not uh, in heaven saying, you ought to, you should forgive. He's saying, I want you to be free, and you are mine. And when the abuse happened to you and it hurt you, it hurt the heart of Almighty God who loves you. And so I'm not, I'm not gonna flippantly say that today you're just gonna you know, flip this switch and then you're gonna forgive. If there's deep pain in your heart, God knows that. And he'll walk through that with you until you come into a place of freedom. 
But it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you should, as a believer in Christ, fully expect that even over time, you are going to become more and more free. And you don't have to be defined by the pain that's happened in your life. And you don't have to be defined by the person who hurt you. You can come to a place of complete freedom in Christ. It'll take some time. Amen to that? Amen? So it's amazing to me how easy it is for us to just, we don't, it's not fun to forgive. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, I love the story of Jonah because it's a story of rebellion. God said, I want you to do this, and Jonah went the opposite direction. Can anyone relate to Jonah? And he, he gets in a boat, and, and God prepares a storm, and then he says, it's my fault, and he jumps in the water, and God prepares a fish. And, and, and he gets in the belly of this whale. And of course, as a child, you hear this story and you see the little book and you open the book and Jonah's in the belly of the whale with a lantern and he's having a little camp out, you know. But in reality, he's in tight quarters with stomach acid, you know, of a fish. And fish don't smell good on the outside. You know, you're living in one now. He came to his senses, not surprisingly enough, three days uh, foreshadowing of Jesus in the tomb, uh, Jonah is in the belly of the whale. And there ain't but two ways out, and neither one of them are good. <laughs> I mean, you know it's a bad day when the best way out, the way you're thankful for, is that you got vomited up onto the shore because the alternative was not pretty. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Father. He then makes his way to Nineveh, I think in the, in the scripture, if I, if I study this right, the fish actually swims towards Nineveh. The fish knows what's good for it. Jonah didn't. Gets spit up on the shore and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches to the people. And the people repent. And Jonah hates it. In Jonah chapter four, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. And he said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away in the first place. This is why he ran away. Because I know that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Ugh. Just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. How ugly is that? The reason I didn't go in the first place is because I knew that city was a bunch of sinners. Low down, no good, worse than me, worse than I've ever been, sinners. And I knew if I preached to them that you and they would repent that you are a God of mercy. I can't stand that about you when it comes to other people. I mean, that really kind of comes in handy day to day with me because your mercy is new every morning, yay, because I need it. Do you realize we're only giving away the grace that we've been given? If you're struggling with having grace for other people, you need to have a revelation of God's grace for you. You don't need to start by having a revelation of how much grace you need to have for other people. If you've been loved greatly and you understand God's grace for you, you will give it away gladly. It'll be more easy for you. It's like the woman who, uh, who cried and wept and Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much, love much. Maybe you need a revelation of God's grace for you. Maybe a good exercise for you this week, <laughs> since this is such an encouraging message, is that you would sit down and just list out your sins 
and then just contemplate how much forgiveness has God given you? And he's given you a truckload of grace and, and you're asked to give that out. It, this, is, this is a really, really difficult part of Christianity because it's unavoidable. We are really pinned to the mat on this one because we live by grace. I mean, we live by it. How are we not gonna give away what's been given to us? It, it, it's, it's why it's such an ugly sin. It's why that when you see it in yourself, you really can't stand it. Oh, that God would reveal to us how ugly it is when we don't really forgive from our heart. This was an issue with the disciples. And in Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should we forgive someone who sins against me? How often should I forgive them? Seven times. <laughs> Which is really great because the Jews were known for like three so he was like doubling it plus one. So he was being like, whoa, don't go crazy there. You know, Peter, you're gonna forgive somebody seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. At that moment, Philip undoubtedly got his calculator out and started doing the math. Right? What was he meaning when he said, it was a statement of hyperbole by Jesus. No, you count the number of sins against you. But did Jesus count the number of sins when he was on the cross? Can you believe that he was on the cross for us, dying, bleeding, and he said, forgive them, Father, forgive them. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And was he up there doing math? Was he counting? Like, how many accumulated, like, what's the accumulative number of sins just in this room right now? Was, it, was he counting? Well, that's it. No. What is his grace really like? Man, if you were Jesus dying for people, I mean, on Friday when he's being beaten, if it were you or me, as carnal as we are, I'd have been keeping track of all them suckers. <laughs> everyone that hit me, everyone that pulled my beard, everyone that spit, I'd be like, I'm coming back Sunday. <laughs> I'll be back. It would have been, right? They deserve it, and how dare they? No one's suffered. I mean, the, the offense that I've suffered by people, the sins committed against me, pale in comparison to the perfect risen Christ. He didn't ever sin, and he was beaten, ah, spit on and hit, and then crucified. And when he came back from the dead, the first place I would have went was like to Pilate at night, like at two in the morning, just to freak him out. I'm gonna get you. That's not his heart. And he only revealed himself to those who believed anyway. He forgave. He forgave from the heart. And how much more do we need to forgive from the heart? But I, I gotta tell you, and you know this already, it is not easy. It is not easy. It, it requires God's divine help to forgive people. Colossians 3.13 says this, make allowance for each other's faults. Don't you want people to make allowance for your faults? And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Don't you hate that scripture? <laughs> and Jesus literally says, pray this way, forgive us our sins. That's good. As we forgive those who sin against us. In the same measure that you gotta be careful judging. Because the same measure that you judge and want someone punished is the same measure that God will measure it on you. No, what I want 
What I want for me? Grace, grace, grace. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And that's why I rejoice when you receive mercy. It's the same grace and same mercy that I need. I've received great grace. I want to give away great grace. Let me give you just a few things about forgiveness. There's so much we could say about forgiveness. I'll just say a few. First of all, I'll remind you that forgiveness is not a feeling. If you wait for the feeling, you'll never forgive. (laughs) Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an act of your will. It's a choice that you make. Now, it's the wisest choice because in releasing the person who's hurt you, you're releasing yourself. Unforgiveness, you've heard this many times, is like drinking a poison and waiting for the other person to die, right? It's only helping you that you forgive. So it is the right choice, but it is a difficult choice because I want to hang on to unforgiveness. But it is not a feeling. It is an active choice before God. It is active. It is is not passive. I say, God, I, I choose and I forgive because I've been forgiven. And then here's what happens. About three minutes later, the thought will come to your mind. And you'll want to replay in your mind what they did. And you'll say, Lord, thank you that I've forgiven them only three minutes ago. I remember it well. And about 10 minutes later, it'll come back to mind. And you're, this is an active choice that you make. It's not a feeling. I would also remind you of this. Forgiveness is not forgetting. No, just forgive and forget. That doesn't happen. God promises, I will remember your sins no more. That is an active not remembering. It's not that he can't remember. It's that he refuses to recall and replay it over and over and over again. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, let me encourage you in this simple way. Every time that thought comes to you of the hurt and the pain, give that back to the Lord and say, Father, I thank you that I have forgiven them. See, because what happens is you play over and over in your mind revenge on a person, and that's sin. And so what you do is you say, Father, in the same way that I've received forgiveness, I just forgive them. And what will happen is God will start to, by the power of his Holy Spirit, replace that unforgiveness with a love for the other person, a care for the other person, and you'll start to pray for that other person. The best thing you can do about someone who's hurt you, those who spitefully hurt you or misused you or abused you, is you pray. You really diligently pray. And you've prayed for them before, but this time don't pray that the bread truck runs over them. Pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and walk in the revelation of his truth. Oh, Lord, bless them. Bless them with your presence. Bless them, I pray. And in that, you're released. But this is not just a one-time thing. It's not a feeling. It's not forgetting. And it is also not excusing the behavior. You're not excusing someone when you forgive them. Actually, when you forgive them, you're pointing out the fact that they require forgiveness. So what are you calling it? Sin. They sinned against you. And it's okay to say that. They sinned against you. That's why you're participating in forgiveness. If, if they hadn't sinned, you wouldn't have to forgive. So many things, you, you may be wondering now, does that mean I have a close relationship with them? Does that mean there's so many parts to forgiveness that I can't go into? It doesn't mean a total reconciliation, and it, it doesn't mean a lot of things. It, it, it's not a feeling, it's not forgetting. It's not excusing the behavior. It's not even saying you're gonna go back and participate in that behavior again. Some people you just need to have distance from. We're talking about your heart before God. I would also say this, the first step in forgiveness, forgiveness can't be done without God's help as he changes your heart. This may be the biggest mistake that people make in terms of forgiveness is they try to do it on their own. You can't. In every other way in your life, in your life with Christ, you would say, I can't be righteous without you, Lord Jesus. 
I can't be holy without you. And I also can't forgive without you. I need you to change my heart. One of the best examples of this uh, I could think of was one of a woman you've probably heard of named Corey Ten Boom. She was in the concentration camps in World War II. She actually had her sister in her arms. Her sister died in her arms while in a concentration camp. She survived the concentration camp, and she's a believer in Jesus. She went and she was, she was preaching. She happened to be preaching after she was uh, released and, and after World War II. She was preaching in Munich, and this is what happened to her. Maybe you've heard this story. I thought it would bear repeating. Corrie ten Boom writes, she said, I was in, it was in a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS guard from Ravensbrück. He came up to me as the church was emptying and he was beaming. How grateful I am for your message, he said. To think that as you say, Jesus has washed my sins away. His hand was stretched out to shake mine, but my hand stayed at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Oh, Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile, she said. I struggled to raise my hand and I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I said this silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, into my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprung a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges. But on him, when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. I would encourage you, if you're depending on your own self to do this, stop doing that. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And if you have people in your life that you need to forgive, the best thing you can do, even if you just be honest and say, I don't even think I can do this, Lord. The pain is too great and it's too long and I just can't do it. If you'll just admit that to him and say, Father, I don't have love for this person, will you give me your love for them? And I know that you say that I, I, I need forgiveness, so I need to forgive, but I'm struggling in this. If you'll be that honest with the Lord and then trust him, he will help you in this area of your relationships. And it, it won't be, <laughs> you know this is true, whoever you're forgiving now, it won't be the last one you forgive. And, and you haven't asked for forgiveness the last time in your life either, have you? Would you stand with me? We'll pray before we go. As for me, I'm going to try not to be bitter as I watch the Bengals lose to Baltimore today. <laughs> I'll be praying for you, and you can pray for me. We like to, at the end of every service, give people an opportunity to give their life to Jesus. It's a lifelong journey that you'll never regret. It's not an easy journey, but it's one that you can begin with a prayer. And if you're in that place where you want to accept him as your savior, 
Uh, we want to walk uh, alongside of you and help you be a disciple of his. If you're going to say yes to him today and say this prayer, I would encourage you to visit any info area afterwards. You receive a free, free Bible, and you can talk to some folks there if, you, if you'd like. Uh, but I'd like to, to lead you in this prayer, and I'd, I'd, I'd ask every believer, if just out of uh, kindness to others, if you would pray this prayer with me. That way they don't have to pray it alone. Would you bow your heads with me? And, and if you're willing, would you pray this prayer? Pray, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord and Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. So, Lord, we thank you for all those who've said yes to you today, and, and we join with them, and we say yes, yes, yes to your will, and yes to your ways, yes to the way that you want us to live, yes to the freedom that you have for us. We say yes to forgiveness. We thank you for your forgiveness for us, and we ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to walk in unforgiveness towards others, Lord God. We really want to be free in this area, and we know that we can't do it without your help. So, Father, I just want to lift up all of those folks today who may be really struggling with some hurt and pain in their life. God, that they've gone through some really, really um, hurtful, deeply, deeply wounding things. God, I pray that you'd restore their soul, that you'd help and encourage them and strengthen them, Father. Help us to be the kind of family to walk with one another and love one another through difficult times. God, we're trusting you that we'll walk in more and more freedom, joy, and peace in our lives as we follow you. Help us, we pray this week. Go with your people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.